Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Now listen to the next three verses. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one our comforts and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. I fear in the generation in which we live in today, there are many professing Christians who know little of the truth of that hymn. For we have difficulty in this generation of individualists and schisms and divisions of sharing our mutual woes and cares. And yet I hope and pray that God this morning, through the preaching of his word, would encourage our hearts to ever be exercising ourselves in such a virtue, in such a grace as confiding and sharing with one another. I believe most Christians understand the fellowship in general that Christians have with one another. They meet on Sundays and gather together, and there is a general fellowship, yet that hymn and our text this morning in Ecclesiastes speaks of a much more intimate relationship between those who profess to be children of God and share in that mutual love for Christ. It's something that has to be cultivated and prayed over. It's a labor of love. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, in verse 7. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. That phrase, under the sun, is only used in Ecclesiastes, and it's used eight times. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, for whom do I labor, and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity, Yea, and it is a sore travail. That word travail is also used in this meaning only in the book of Ecclesiastes. And excuse me, that eight times. Under the sun more. It doesn't mean travail like a mother in birth, which Paul speaks of, but it means labor. This is a sore travail. It's a sore labor. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Though it has been, as I researched this last week, 22 years since I last preached on this text, I can assure you its divine truth has been a constant companion to me over these past 22 years. 
I have known, like some of you, I have known the sore travail of one being alone. And I have enjoyed the rich blessings and good rewards of the labor of two. I have known the ointment the proverb speaks of, and perfume which rejoices the heart by the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. And I've also experienced the faithful wounds of a friend. Yet I have also known the sore travail of being alone without a second, yet not without Christ. God, I believe, setting the one over against the other, as Scripture says, that we might rejoice and diligently seek the rewards of two labors. Solomon is speaking of something that I believe to be a rare virtue amongst God's children. Now, for most people, the book of Ecclesiastes is not their first choice when it comes to meditating or pondering the Word of God. When one reads through the book of Ecclesiastes, one believes Solomon is simply in despair. Yet, Ecclesiastes was written by the wisest man that ever lived. So let us heed his words. For I believe he has in our text a jewel of great price for us if we would but listen to his exhortation and learn from what Solomon himself had learned, a bitter lesson which turned sweet. Solomon would begin by declaring the sore travail of one alone. Before he speaks of two being better than one, he would have us to understand the sore travail of he who is alone who has not a second or has not a friend or companion. Look in verse 7 and 8. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone and there is not a second. There's nobody to comfort him. There's no companion. There's no friend. Now watch closely. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. He takes it even further. Yet is there no end of all his labor. I'm getting ahead of myself, but notice that he says here, this man who is alone, there's no end of all his labor. But when he begins to speak of two, he said there's a good reward for their labor. You see the big difference? There's no end to his labor. He has no purpose in everything he does. He's alone. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity. Yea, it is a, Solomon says, sore travail. Beloved, if it was not good for man to be alone in the perfect surroundings of paradise... God saying, Adam needs a help meet. How much more so in a fallen world where man, Job says, is born of a woman, is few of days and full of trouble. There's one alone, Solomon says, and there's not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Our text would imply both choice and providence. He's alone, yet he has neither child nor brother. Yet to be alone, Solomon says, is still a sore travail. Now, I believe with all my heart, even though there are many Christians who generally understand the biblical teaching of unity and love, I believe with all my heart, and I'm talking from 40-some years' experience, I believe there are a lot of Christians sitting in churches today who feel the sore travail of being alone. They believe in the unity of the believers, 
they truly in their heart would like to know the joy and riches which come from the blessed fellowship of believers, and yet they find themselves still alone, not having a second. And I believe much of that is because the church has failed in her responsibilities, the pulpit anyway, in preaching this divine truth unto God's people. It seems like we have a generation, like I said yesterday, a generation of uh, cynicals who seem to enjoy separation and division and schism more than they do striving to cultivate, maintain, and preserve unity. And as we'll see in a few minutes, uh, Solomon uses the word often himself, relationships involve labor. It's not easy. Oh, how I've seen over the years Christians who throw in the towel on unity over the most insignificant and foolish things. There is one alone and there is not a second. There's no one to comfort. There's no one to encourage. There's no one to help or aid. He stands alone. Sad thought, isn't it? And yet I, I, I believe I'm not far off when I say even this morning amongst us, there might be one amongst us who feels that loneliness themselves, even though we find ourselves amongst God's people. I don't know, I think many of us have been so scarred by divisions and schisms that we tend to keep our mutual woes and cares silent in fear that someone else might again harm or hurt us. And therefore, we keep things to ourselves. How do you know that, preacher? Well, I can tell that basically by prayer meetings. Oh, I, I know each and every one of us struggle every week in our Christian life. I know that each and every one of us have problems and hurdles and oppositions that we face, and yet we have trouble and difficulty sharing those moes, those cares with one another, and we choose to bear them on our own. If the Scripture encourages us to pour out our hearts before God, and to cast our care upon Him because He careth for us, don't you believe that God would have us do the same amongst one another? Bear ye one another's burdens, and so therefore fulfill the law, the law of the law of Christ. The impotent man in John chapter five, when the Lord asked him. Why is he not going to the waters? Every time they moved, whoever got to the water first would be healed. He cried, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. I cannot get up on my own. I have no man. Many believers today I believe with all my heart, suffer unmerited or unwarranted, unnecessary woes because they know little or nothing about the exhortations of Ecclesiastes or our Lord in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 of loving one another as Christ has loved us. James says, confess your faults one to another. Not sins, faults one to another. How often shall I forgive my brother? For uh, seven times? No, seven times, 70, 490 times. It's, it's labor. Uh, if your brother come unto you and ask for forgiveness, forgive him. Yet a man that's alone doesn't have that. There's no end to all his labor. Yet our text this morning speaks more of choice 
in Providence. A sinful man is so selfish, self-centered, and egocentric that he seeks his own. The man in our text wants to be alone. He's selfish, self-centered. It's amazing the list of perils that Paul speaks about in Second Timothy, that the very first thing on that list is men shall be lovers of themselves. Well, that's contrary to the Christian spirit, isn't it? When Paul says, esteem others better as yourself. In fact, Paul even goes so far to say, if he has any comfort or any consolation in Christ, he speaks about them having mutual understanding and care for one another. He says, when you do that, I'm comforted. I'm consoled in Christ. God has divinely ordained that Christians who are one with Christ, though we seek our soul comfort in and through Christ, we should and must seek comfort also from one another. When we don't do that, we lack in finding comfort in Christ. And I believe the church has failed miserably in teaching this divine lesson over the past 20 or 30 years. It's one that has to be, like I said before, cultivated, prayed over, maintained, and preserved. Isn't it amazing? In our text, we talk about enduring all the time. In Matthew, it says, those that endure to the end shall be saved. Isn't it amazing that said right before that, the love of many shall wax cold because of sin. But those that endure unto the end, it's amazing that they're linked together, loving and enduring. Love has an enduring quality to it. Do you know that? <laughs> It has an enduring quality to it. It has a forgiving quality. Love covers a multitude of sins. Are you following me? This is, this is what we should be as God's children, practicing and exercising and cultivating amongst one another. And yet people today divide themselves over things that are so insignificant. And even after they've had division and schism, there's no desire to seek reconciliation. They're content with having divisions and schisms. It's easy to divide over differences, but it's divine to work differences out and still labor to love and care for one another. Solomon says, there is no end of all his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, yea, he says, it is a sore travail. It's a hard labor, yet man chooses to do that. Isn't it amazing that the first sin committed after God drove Adam and Eve from the garden was Cain lifting up his hand against his own brother Abel, and his excuse was, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, Cain, you are or were your brother's keeper. I wish we'd all understand that there is a certain responsibility involved with us joining a fellowship of believers that we become one another's keeper. It's a biblical principle to watch over one another, to provoke one another into love and to good works. It's a responsibility. It's one that the... Older or the aged seem to respect more than the younger, which sometimes are blinded by their zeal. But I believe as one grows in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and comes to know his own heart and his own failures and sinfulness and weaknesses that he has no problem taking the splinter out of his brother's eye through the beam in his own. I believe truly that it's a divine work of grace in the heart of every Christian. And yet, why does this lack so much amongst believers today? We need this even more today. Even Hebrews exhorts that when it says, even as you see the day coming, approaching, 
exhort one another, provoke one another, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. He even mentions, even as you see the day approaching, I believe we need this more today than ever before in the church because of the perils of the times we're facing. Many are leaving the church. 30, 40, 50 years ago, people would be leaving, they say, Christianity for other religions. Now they're leaving Christianity simply because they don't believe in God. And they claim, and I put no emphasis or I put no importance on what man says, but it's a fact of itself. They claim that in the next 20 years, Christianity shall turn out to be the minority of all religions. So, beloved, we truly need to understand what Ecclesiastes is talking about, or we might find ourselves at this one man who stands alone. Therefore, Solomon after that, would declare the good rewards of two people. And he would emphasize that. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. They have a good reward, whereas he who is alone, Solomon said, has no end of all his labor. They have a good reward for their, and I love this, they have a good reward, a good reward for what? For their labor. We think relationships should come easy. If we're Christians, love should fall. And there should be no difficulty. That's why we have so many false religions, because they build it on this false emotional feeling. There's no truth to it at all, but we believe relationships ought to come easy. And if, if it's a love that's, that flows from Christ, then there should be no difficulty in that. Well, the love flowing from Christ is not the difficulty. It's the love flowing from one another, which is the difficulty. Our text has a language of close intimacy and friendship. Because he said, for if they fall, they fall together. It says they fall. We'll see that in a few minutes. He said, for if they fall. He didn't say if one falls, if they fall. In other words, we all tend to fall. For if they fall... They fall together. Intimacy. If they lie together, then they can bring warmth to one another. They withstand together when someone seeks to prevail against them. Three things. Fall, heat, or warmth, and withstanding. That's the rewards of the labor of two, Solomon says. Relationships, friendships, require labor. <laughs> People today don't understand that, even in this lost world. When you hear people say, well, I'll get married, and if it don't work out, I'll just get divorced. It's so easy to get divorced nowadays. It's so easy to just throw the whole thing away. I'll renounce, annul my marriage, and we'll just move on and try something else. And Anyone who's been married for any amount of time will tell you that it's not all a bed of roses. It requires labor and work. Anything worth anything is laborious. And relationships and friendships require labor. It doesn't simply come easy. That's why Solomon says labor in all of this, the man that's alone and even in the two, they have a good reward for their labor. And the greater the labor, the greater the good rewards. Some of the best friendships, listen to me closely, and I hope and pray that you'll bear witness with me with this, but some of the best friendships have come out of the greatest differences. Do you know that? And if Christians could grasp that, they wouldn't so easily throw in the towel when there's differences. Some of the greatest relationships have come out of the greatest differences. I believe that's a divine truth which this generation of selfish, self-satisfying and lazy professors know little or nothing about. It's Like I said, it's so much easier just to stop 
and run off and carry, go someplace else, not even mess with it. You ever ran into somebody who doesn't like controversy? And I'm not saying controversy is good, but they just run from every, every little bit of controversy. They run from everything. If it's a challenge, they run from it. Christians don't run from that, especially from relationships. How would you feel if God just turned his back every time we failed him? How many times have we disappointed our Savior? Why do you think he said, love one another as I've loved you? Not one, love one another as you feel right. Love one another as I've loved you. Real lasting friendship comes not easy or without much labor on the part of both parties. It requires both to labor. Because, beloved, true friendship, true brotherhood, sisterhood, is measured not merely by our likenesses or our agreements. That's an easy relationship. But more so in times of great difficulties and oppositions. That's where true friendship is revealed. Not when we all agree. I've learned over the years, through experience, both good and bad, when somebody comes into the church and immediately within the first few weeks or something starts speaking boldly and loudly about how much they love the church and how much they love the preaching and everything is just wonderful, I, I get really weary. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really weary of that. Because I've seen from experience it doesn't take long before they're faced with reality that where they put everybody else on a pedestal, they shouldn't have put them there, and they get disappointed, and when they get disappointed, they leave. But true friendship, true brotherhood is measured in times of great difficulties and oppositions. If they fall, if they fall, one lifts up the other. When cold, lying together, heats them up. If prevailed against, two shall withstand them. You see how this strengthens the bond of fellowship? There's something good in the church when they struggle together. People nowadays come into church and they look for immediately immediate unity and love and oneness. And there should be an aspect of that all the time because we're Christians. Yet you know where that is genuinely revealed is when the church is struggling with afflictions, oppositions, difficulties. That really proves the genuineness of our love and unity as believers. You know, Paul, when he's uh, writing his letter to the believers at Thessalonica, he calls their love a labor of love. Labor of love. You, you wouldn't think, again, you wouldn't think love would be labor, but love is labor. Labor. Let me give you an illustration. One I hope that we'll understand. We've all had or have children. Now, we'd like to say that our children are always top-notch, always good, never causing any trouble. Does a mother cast a child away when they're disobedient? Or does she, out of love, punish them, chasten them? When a man and woman in marriage runs into difficulty and disagreements. I know the world says, well, that's it. Let's just forget the whole thing. But according to Scripture, does a man and woman simply cast the relationship away because of problems? Or do they, by the grace of God, work things out? Christians should have that same mentality. That same mindset. I've said this for years and I continue to say that. There's nothing in Scripture that condones schism or division amongst Christians except false doctrine. And of course, if one's in sin, 
we need to do that. But the point is reconciliation. The goal is reconciliation. Even when we expel someone from church, it's for reconciliation. Read Corinthians. It's to be reconciled. Reconciliation is always the goal. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. I like how Solomon says they fall. The one will lift up his fellow, his companion. Uh, a fellow is someone who travels with him. And I'm sure, I hope, we all have had at one time or another a friend like that. I have had friends, and due to moving, we've been separated. But I have had friends in the past, brethren in the past, who when I fell, lifted me up. Didn't kick me while I was down, but lifted me up. When we see a Christian fall, we should desire to lift them up not tear them down. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Well, it sounds almost like Psalm 23, huh? He restoreth my soul. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The context, bear ye one another's burdens, is in a uh, is of a brother being overtaken in a fault. Bear his burden. Romans 14, Romans 15 has also something to say about that, about the stronger, bearing the infirmities of the weak. It's spiritual maturity to be able to bear with the faults and weaknesses of others. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. Uh, uh, maturity. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity to be fighting and scrappling all the time. Look over in Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27 has a few verses to say about this. Proverbs chapter 27. Look in verse 6. I like verse 5. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Well, people don't know how to take rebuke. Our brother reading Proverbs on Saturday, we've come a lot across that about how reproof is good and for wise men, and we need to learn how to take reproof. Most Christians, they can't take reproof or rebuke. They're just too selfish and prideful. All of us, myself included, we need to be careful we don't fall into that sin. But look in verse 6. Faithful... Well, the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Oh, we see a lot of that in the world today, don't we? America is very good at being hypocritical when it comes to relationships. When they stand before someone, they'll talk kind about them, and they'll 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 think they're doing them well and kind, but then they'll turn around and talk bad about them behind their backs. I'm not talking about being benevolent or kind or hospitable. I'm talking about not being hypocritical. If you truly believe that individual is the way that they are, then why do you kiss him or her with deceit? We have a problem living in honesty with one another because we don't live in honesty in the world. Two-faced is really something that is very, very common amongst sinful men. I've kind of seen both extremes on those things in, in Germany, <clears throat> living there for over 35 years. Germans have a way of being brutally honest with you. That's why when my wife first came over, myself included, she had a rough time because she didn't think she was being rude, but Americans just kind of take that as being rude. You're too bluntly honest. Well, Germans can sometimes be too bluntly, brutally honest when they ought to be a little bit more reserved. But then in America, we're too hypocritical. We're not honest with people. Is everything okay? Oh, everything's fine. Are you doing okay? Oh, I'm doing fine. And yet with inside their hearts and their minds, there's a 
fulfillment of war raging. We have, we lack the ability to share. And again, don't misunderstand me. There are some things we need to share merely with the Lord and solely with the Lord. I agree. But there are some things that we need to learn to share with one another as Christians. I like that faithful of the wounds of a friend. Look at verse 9. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. I love that verse. By hearty counsel. It's counsel that comes from the heart. Brother, let me talk to you. Let me give you counsel from the heart. The sweetness of a man's friend. Look at verse 17. Kind of gives a contrast of all, doesn't it? Iron sharpeneth iron, so the man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Iron sharpeneth iron. You know what you do, what you get when you rub iron on iron? It's it really warm. Sometimes, oh, sometimes the friendship can get pretty heated. But, God give us grace that such a heat which sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We might not all disagree and we are agree. We, we all certainly don't agree on everything. But when it comes to differences to where we kind of disagree to where it gets a little bit heated, our prayer should be that it would sharpen the countenance of one another and not merely be a goal or an idea or an attempt to prove I'm right and you're wrong. You know, sometimes, and this is the language I believe of Scripture, sometimes I believe in order to help a brother get closer to Christ, we need to get on our knees and let them step on us so they can get closer to Christ. And again, don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying that we simply just let them run over us. I'm simply saying, sometimes if you're aged, Christian, if you're strong in grace, just like Romans says, you know, those that are strong, bear the infirmities of the weak, bear with them. Don't be so quick to give your advice, especially if you think it might at this moment harm them. We ought to sometimes give God, and I say that, hopefully you understanding I understand, I believe in the sovereignty of God by giving God, but we ought to allow God the time to instruct a brother before we do. Sometimes our instruction is not going to be sufficient. It's not going to fall on hearing ears or an embracing heart. Sometimes we need to understand, I need to let God show this to this brother while I bear with them patiently. That's wisdom. That's why on one reason in the book of Matthew when he's talking about if you have your offering coming to the altar and you know your brother has ought, go to him, talk to him. Well, he doesn't listen. Well, forget him. I'm grabbing my, alt my offering going to the altar. No, he says, now, if you didn't listen, you go get a brother. Take your brother. Well, he's not listening to me or my brother. Let's just forget it, get our offering, go to the altar. No, don't do that then. What do you do then? Then you take it before the church. You see the progress of that? It's patience. <clears throat> it's working with a brother or sister who's in sin. It's not merely seeking to condemn them. And I've had many people over the years quote that passage of Scripture when they're dealing with problems in the church, and their goal is not for reconciliation or that they might win their brother. Their goal is simply to condemn somebody. That's the wrong spirit. We often tend, sometimes because of our sinful nature, <clears throat> we tend to rest Scripture. May we stay faithful to Scripture. Look at Psalms 141. Psalm 141. Verse 5. <clears throat> Let the righteous smite me. It shall be kindness. 
and let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamity. Look at that. Look at that. This is what I call real camaraderie, friendship. Let the righteous, the writer knows that they're smiting him because of righteousness sake. Big difference. Not because of selfish sake. It shall be kindness, and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. You see how it works? It's a mutual working of grace. As he does this for me, I know that if he's ever in a bind like that, I shall also be able to help him. You know, if you know the desire of your brother or sister who's reproving or rebuking you or trying to help you when you fall, and if you know his desire is in the right heart, it's a lot easier to take that reproof, isn't it? That's why we ought to beware. And I'll close that in a few minutes with a verse in Proverbs talking about an offended brother. It's harder to be one. Let me tell you something. The love between Christians are so sensitive and it's so great that if it's not present, the anger will be just as great. There's a danger there that we have to watch out for and to avoid. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. That's bad, isn't it? He doesn't have anybody to help him up. God give us grace to be able to help people, one another, up. But let me add this before we move on real quickly. Let me add this. If we don't know that you've fallen, we can't help you up. Sometimes we're embarrassed, and I speak as well for myself, sometimes we're embarrassed to admit that we need help. Do we believe in prayer? I'm, I believe we all do. I'm, I'm saying that knowing that everyone here does. We have a prayer meeting every second Saturday, and I know we all believe in prayer, but I say that just to arise in us a question. If we believe in prayer, then, then believe also that if you're in need of help, that prayer works. Do you know what intercessory prayer can do for one another? We sometimes think that we can handle it on our own and we'll just pray for ourselves. Do you understand what intercessory prayer does? Do you understand the power of it? Do you, do you know what it can bring? But if nobody knows, I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, I've had this problem for a long time. I said, listen, I'm pastor of church of 20, 30, 40 people at the time. I said, I, I can't read minds. I don't know what you're going through. I can come and visit you, but if you're not honest and upfront with me, how do I know what your struggles are? What do you think prayer meetings are about? What do you think we say? Anybody got a prayer request? You need to share those mutual woes. You need to be able to humbly confess, I need help in this situation. I need your prayers. And then watch how intercessory the fervent prayer of a righteous man Availeth much. A lot of Christians lack the support and comfort they need in their trials and their afflictions because they don't share them with other believers that they might pray for them. God's teaching us a lesson. Learn what it is to pray and be dependent on others praying for you. We're back in Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. Now, I'm going to go quickly over these next two, but not too quickly. I hope and pray. Mutual warmth. I, I like how the Holy Spirit led him to speak about warmth and heat because, you know, we often tend to grow cold and indifferent. Right? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm amazed that my heart can grow so cold and indifferent towards the things of God and towards God's people. It, it happens. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Brethren, I've had a rough week, and I've kind of 
felt distant from God. I need you to pray for me that God would grant me wisdom and grace to see that when it comes and when that approaches. Help me by praying for me that my affections might warm up. You know, when we pray, and I'm sure, I'm sure we all can bear witness to this. When we pray, do you know how much comfort we get from listening to somebody else pray? Do our minds wander when someone else is praying? Be careful of a wandering mind. Let me tell you something. Sometimes and many times, not sometimes, but many times, I have uh, received such rich blessings from a brother's prayer that has encouraged me and strengthened me. And I would, I would much rather listen to them pray than I would pray myself. And even when we pray and we take prayer requests and we, that's why we pray with more than simply one because, and I, there was a church that did this once and I found it quite, uh, quite amazing and good. They took the prayer request and then the pastor said, okay, I want you, Brother Stewart, to take these four. I want you, Brother Dave, to take these other four, and I want you, Brother Dave, to take these other four. Instead of one person trying to go through the whole list, each one could take the time to pray specifically for those distinct prayer requests, giving it more time. Sometimes we flip through the prayer requests so quick, we can't hold on to what we're talking about. But when we take the time out, you know, like the beer brother did this morning in praying for uh, Christy and, and, and working that out in detail, Lord, this is what we desire for her. Sometimes that happens in prayer meetings. We go so quickly over them rather than spending time. It, it's much better if we just pray over a few of them in depth than trying to catch them all in one prayer. Are you following me? To be able to, to do that. I mean, it's, if I'm needing prayer and, and I say, listen, brethren, my heart's been cold and indifferent and I, I need you to pray for me. I need God to, to help me. Just, just Keep me in your prayers. And somebody begins praying, saying, and I pray for Brother Audie. I pray for the pastor. You'd help him through the day. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us rain tomorrow. And I'm kind of like going, whoa, I'm getting whiplash. Wouldn't you rather hear somebody say from their heart? They're lying together, giveth warmth. That's intimacy. Lord, I've been there. I know what it's like. My heart so often grows cold. I know what the dear brother's going through. I know what he's suffering from. Lord, I pray that you would warm his heart and affections for thee. I pray that you'd, Lord, lead him in thy word to a passage of scripture that would excite him. And I'm just giving you an example. I'm not trying to give you a way to pray. I'm simply saying this is much more of warming one another. And you know what? We need a lot of that. I do. This world sometimes gets so such a grasp on my heart with all the things we're doing, the hectic, the running around, the job. I find myself, as well as you probably, when I'm trying to meditate on Saturday mornings on the message and what God had had me to preach and the content of the heart of it, I find sometimes my mind wandering back to work. Oh, I got to do this on Monday and there's no housekeeper and I got to help him here and we got this. Oh, Lord, help me get away from that. I don't, I need to be thinking about something else and I need to be concentrated and have to cast that out, casting down the imaginations that exalt themselves against the things of God, right? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We know this verse well, very well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another. We, we, we often pass over that word consider, and we ought not to. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You can't provoke someone to love and to good works if you haven't considered them. What's that mean? Think about them. Think about it. James says, uh, count it all joy. Count means to think about it, meditate on it. Here he's saying, consider them. Take them to heart and mind. I mean, genuinely, take them to heart and mind. 
Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Provoke. It's a labor. Provoke. It's like uh, you go up to somebody and you're pushing them. Like, don't do that. You're provoking me. No, I'm provoking you. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to ease up. I'm going to continue provoking you to love. And I want to provoke. How do you do that? Not by physically doing this. Don't misunderstand me here. But provoking them is constantly reminding them, hey, love and good works is a good thing. I rejoice when I hear Christians in our church helping other people in need. A lady who used to come, comes occasionally. There's someone in the church that helps her out whenever she needs, whether it's a car or water or even a dead horse. We should addict ourselves to good works. Isn't that what the church at Thessalonians is? They addicted themselves to good works. Should be an addiction. I love to hear that. I love to hear when a family helps an elderly brother who's in need of comfort and care. And they'll stay up all night with him and watch him. That's caring. You follow me? That's what a church should be doing. I know we're small, and I know there's a lot of people that would think twice about coming to somebody's house for church. And we don't have the entertainment a lot of people like. I'm sad that people don't put the preeminence of God's Word being preached above all the other activities of a church. But let me just be brutally honest with you this morning. I love what God has given us here and what He's doing. For I really, truly believe that there are all of us seeking to exercise these virtues of which Solomon speaks. Good company excites our hearts and affections for God and one another. The Israelites at the border of Canaan, you remember what happened? They complained when the spies came back. They said, our brethren have discouraged our hearts. And I believe we can either be in a discouragement to one another or we can be an encouragement. I mentioned it yesterday, but the two disciples on the road to Emmaus says why they were communing together. Man, they didn't know what's going on. This, this man Christ, this prophet, this Messiah came and they're walking down the road and it said they're fellowshipping and communing. And when brethren fellowship and commune, you know what happens? Christ slips in and says, hey, let me walk with you a while. Good communication, beloved, excites our hearts. Even Christ, as he walked amongst men, would have an inner circle of friends. Peter, John, and James. He went a stone cast away from the rest of them. And he looks to his three friends. Threefold cord, watch with me. So those are his words, watch with me. As I go and pray. When he come back, what did he say? Could you not stay awake one hour with me? He was implying Ecclesiastes. You're supposed to warm me. You're supposed to pick me up. He said, ah, he was God. No, he was just as much man. But how can one, Solomon says, be warm alone? How can one be warm alone? Beloved, sometimes we have need of one another to warm our hearts and affections for Christ and for one another. Let me close with this final one here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That threefold cord comes in real quick, doesn't it? Some say it's the Holy Spirit. Some say it's Christ. But see, when we are fighting against our enemies, 
and they're prevailing against us, sometimes we can't stand alone. We need a friend. Often in the past, I would get calls sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes throughout the day of brothers and sisters who would call and say, Pastor, I, I, need, I need some prayer right now. I need, I'm going through something very difficult and trying. I can't wait till Saturday. I need prayer right now. Would you please pray for me? I've had brothers call brothers and sisters call sisters in the moment of need. I'm, I'm struggling here. Uh, something, my enemies are trying to prevail against me. I need you to stand with me in prayer. And just like our dear brother did with Mary yesterday, let us pray now. That comforts them. You know, comfort that brought Mary. I, I know Mary well enough to know how much comfort that brought her heart when Greg said, shall we pray now? It was wise on his part. Rather than simply say, okay, I'll keep you in prayer. No, let's, let's go now before the throne of grace. Let's go now before God and let us pray together. We should be cultivating these things amongst ourselves. Preserving them amongst ourselves. Why? Look at Proverbs chapter 18. This is why. And it's something that we need to be aware of. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. Listen to what he says here. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Why are there so many divisions and schisms, and why are they so adamant? And people are refusing to reconcile. Because the love that Christ would have us to exercise towards one another is so great that if we do not continually exercise that measure of love, that love can turn to the greatest contentment. You follow me? This is what Proverbs is talking about. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. God help us that we do not fall into this sin. We should always be ready for reconciliation. A few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, I encourage you on prayer meeting to pray for your enemies. But not just your enemies. Pray for those brothers and sisters as well that maybe in the past has caused us some heartache and sorrow. We need to learn to pray for them. Prayer is what teaches us and encourages us and builds this this mutual love up in us. Do you know that? Prayer works not only for those we're praying for, but much more so for us. And I found in my own life when I pray for someone or something enough, I take a great interest in that individual because I've invested a lot of prayer. And I have had, as pastor, and most pastors do, in the past, people who have accused me of things and said things about me. There's truth in every criticism. I will also humbly confess, but I try to pray for them because I don't want a Proverbs 18. I want to be ready whenever the Lord opens up the door for reconciliation that there will be no bitterness or no discontentment there, but that I'll always be ready that reconciliation, almost like the prodigal son and his father. When the father seen him far away, the father didn't stand back or go in his house and shut his door. He ran to meet him and held him, and why the father was ready for reconciliation. And I know that's a picture of God and Christ and his love for us, but should we not imitate our Savior? Should we not always be ready for reconciliation? Should we not rejoice in the fact that someone has sought reconciliation? I'm telling you the greatest relationships have been born out of the greatest differences. Two are better than one. Before they will, because they will have the rewards of their... Someone falls, pick them up. If someone's cold, warm them. If someone's being prevailed against their enemies, stand with them. Amen? And though, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. May God give us grace to continually exercise this amongst ourselves so that when others come into our church fellowship, 
they will sense the love and unity as being genuine and real. Amen. And most of all, that we might glorify Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now, Lord, for thy word. We thank you, Lord, for Ecclesiastes. We thank you, Lord, for this blessed text. Help us, we pray, to walk in the light of it. Help us, Lord, we pray that we could exercise these things by your grace and mercy. For without you, we surely cannot do nothing. We're not trying to do anything in the power of the flesh, Lord, but we know and we pray that the Spirit would help us, Lord God, that we might be able to walk in the light of this and know the joy and blessings of such mutual labor, the rewards of such labor. Father, thank you for all you've given us. We ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen.